For a while, I would joke with the Kiwis that I had um, prior knowledge that, you know, this pandemic was coming, you know, and then I think they thought I was serious and that there was something, <laughs> something like, you know, a tour going on. And so I had to stop joking with them about that. All right. Welcome back to Small Town Big Stories. I'm your host, Nate West. With me today is my favorite co-host, Will Wagner. So glad to have you back. It's been a while since we've been in the studio. So uh, today we interviewed Dr. Mandy Dornfeld. Pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Tell us all about what she does now, Will. Pop quiz, so hot shot. Dr. Dornfeld is the owner of Sage Direct Primary Care, and she is our family doctor. Yeah, she's awesome. Uh, so she, awesome. so in the interview, she talks about uh, when she lived in New Zealand for a couple of years over the pandemic, which was pretty wild. Um, and talks about her new practice, which is a, a subscription based, like totally just, different. Yeah, unlike any other uh, regular medical doctors, and uh, the level of care is just phenomenal. So. I think it's really interesting. I think that a lot of people don't realize that something like that exists, especially here in Columbus. But uh, yeah, so she's awesome. We hope you guys enjoy it. At Zeller Insurance, we are proud of our Columbus roots. We have been part of the community since 1972. Supporting local businesses and organizations is a priority for us. Building relationships with our clients has been the foundation of our success for the last 50 years. Think of Zeller when you think of insurance. Whether you are looking for home, auto, business, life, or Medicare insurance, our team is here for you. Thanks for coming in. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're super pumped to learn more about you because basically we never leave the county. And <laughs> I know that's not true. You're an amazing person and have done all kinds of wild things and we want to hear more about it. So, yeah. Well, um, what would you like to hear? Well, you know, on my handy dandy notebook here, like where'd you grow up? Like tell us, Oh yeah. Let's, let's go in the way back machine. So, um, I actually grew up on the West side of Indianapolis, did not okay. grow up in Columbus. Um, went to Ben Davis high school, proud giant. There are a few of us transplants here in Columbus. Uh, Amy Lineman and I went to high school together. There's a shout out. A lot of people don't know that. Um, she's the founder of beloved, really cool organization. Awesome person. Awesome person. And I've known her and her family for 30 years, 40 years. Um, and, um, went to Valparaiso university and went to Stritch school of medicine for medical school. And after residency, I came straight down here to Columbus to be a family doctor. So that's kind of my trajectory and where I've been. Yeah, so, pretty much always a Hoosier. But I did live in Chicago for four years. So the draw to Columbus, was that job opening? Or? Job. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to be a family doctor who also delivered babies. Um, we call that full spectrum family medicine. All family doctors are trained to deliver babies, but most, as you know, probably don't choose to do that. And there are some practices that are, make that a very important part of their practice and take care of infants through adults and do obstetrics. And that was very important to me. Um, so I joined a practice here in town, um, that is very active in, um, delivering babies and taking care of children, um, and, uh, taking care of the entire family. So that's why I came here. So the first part of your career, 
uh, working for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, how long was that? that was 13 years here in Columbus. Um, and I decided that I really wanted to work for myself after about 13 years, which is kind of unusual in medicine nowadays. Um, but I felt like I wasn't able to have the time that I wanted to spend with my patients. I became a little frustrated with continuity of care because we were all so busy all the time that a lot of times uh, I didn't get to see my patients for follow-ups. And we all know that evidence shows that patients are be have the best outcomes when there's continuity of care, when their physician knows them. Um, and they don't, the patient doesn't have to go through the same story over and over and over. Uh, and also I was feeling pretty worn out. You know, when you have a panel of 1,800 to 2,500 patients, as many primary care doctors do, you really, really are kind of burning and they candle on both ends. Um, you see patients in a very fast fashion all day long, and then you really have to go home and answer all those messages and all the all the portal messages and all the refills, and you want to be sure you do a good job. And I wanted to be sure that I didn't miss a single thing. So it's hours and hours at home too. And I wasn't the only one. I can assure you every single, almost every single doctor working in a large health system, primary care doctor, um, feels the same pressures. Uh, so I was looking for a way to spend more time with my patients be able to give them the continuity of care that I feel they deserve and also be able to um, enjoy maybe a better lifestyle and spend time with my family when I wasn't at work. So uh, I decided to start a practice where I could do that. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Do you have 2,500 clients right now? No. I don't either. I just like, like I, that, that number kind of caught me off guard a little I've, bit. Yeah. I don't know how many clients I have. I don't really put a number to that. I cannot but imagine But I feel like my that. phone blows up all the time. Like, yeah. Like. Yeah. I think it varies. Um, I think I probably had closer to sixteen or 1,700 because when you take care of infants and little kids, they have to be seen multiple times a year. Yeah. So um, I think internal medicine doctors who just take care of adults often have a panel of closer to 2,500 to 3,000 patients. So that is not uncommon. So that's why that chart is so important. Yeah. Because... Yeah. You just can't, re you know, and I, you know, every doctor wants to do their best. Everyone, you know, there's no one who's like, oh, well, well you don't, you know, all you don't really need, the... yeah, you don't really need the best if mm. we mess up, you know, everyone wants to do their best and give their patients their all. So, yeah. yeah so I, um, I was pretty excited to start my practice. I didn't know for sure what it would look like or what it would be called, but, um, I had planned to start a practice that is a model called direct primary care. Um, direct primary care just means you work directly for the patient and not for a hospital system or an insurance company. And that allows you to just be free of a lot of obstacles and kind of take care of the patients in the way that you, for one thing, you don't have the overhead. So you can have a smaller panel and take care of patients kind of with the time that you want to take with them. Yeah. Um, so I kind of had this kind of golden opportunity where I knew I'd be switching paths. I'd always in my entire life wanted to live abroad. I <clears throat> was so busy in college. I never did a semester abroad. I wanted to, but I felt like I had to finish all my classes and go to med school. Um, and I didn't see how that could really fit in with finishing all my science classes. So I didn't do that. And I really, really regretted it. I just feel there's so much to be learned from living abroad. So I said to my husband, hey, Dave, what would you think if we went and lived in New Zealand for a couple of years? And he said, 
have you lost your mind? <laughs> I mean, he really was caught off guard. Um, but New Zealand is a country where American doctors can get licensing. You don't have to go to school all over again, for example. Okay. It does take about six months for them to confirm that you're an American doctor and that you're board certified and you've done all of your school, et cetera. Um, but you can work as a doctor in New Zealand. And um, after some definitely definite prayerful thought, we decided it would be really good for our kids and our family to do that. And um, so we did. The timing was impeccable. Uh, yes. Right, right before, you know, the <laughs> pandemic. Like, I'm sure you, you didn't... You didn't have a heads up that it was well, going to happen, um, did you? Well, for a while, I would joke with the Kiwis that I had um, prior knowledge that, you know, this pandemic was coming, you know, and then I think they thought I was serious and that there was something, <laughs> something like, you know, untoward going on. And so I had to stop joking with them about that. But no, I had no, we had no idea, obviously, that there would be a pandemic. And we arrived in um, Fitianga, New Zealand in January of 2020. Um, and actually I, we stopped on the way to New Zealand in Hawaii because it's kind of a halfway point. And I remember reading the paper in Hawaii and reading about, um, this respiratory viral illness that was kind of like another one that had happened a few years ago. And I thought, oh, well, you know, that, that won't come to America that the other one didn't. Um, and it, I really didn't give it a thought, but I actually do remember reading about it. And I, I actually mentioned it to my dad, um, but, you know, as we all know, in March, essentially, 2020 is when the pandemic really hit. My 40th birthday. Oh, happy Precisely. birthday. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you remember my party that got rescheduled a million times mm. over? Because yeah. the pandemic happened oh. literally on my birthday. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. Yeah, it was messed up. My wife kept that party secret for. Aw. Oh, she, like, kept delaying it and oh, was yeah, able to. Yeah. She kept pushing it back. And, like, she, it was awesome. Yeah. She yeah. did really, really, really well with it. When you moved, how old were your kids? Um, okay. Like, approximately. Oh, God. So, I mean, um, now it's like, a quiz. Thinking, like, moving with little kids like that. Third grade. My, do- my youngest was third grade. My middle was sixth grade. And my oldest was eighth grade. And we actually moved in the middle of the school year. So we left in, you know, they finished their, their, their fall term and then they didn't go back in January and we moved to New Zealand and in New Zealand, the seasons are flipped. So we arrived in New Zealand in the middle of summer and their new school year starts February 1st. That is actually their fall. Um, so then they enrolled in school there. How is the school system versus like here. Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's so hard to kind of know from far away from America. We had never been to New Zealand. We didn't have any clue what that would be like. Um, we ended up living in a pretty small town called Fitianga, a spelled W-H-I-T-I-N-G-A, but W-H in New Zealand is pronounced F. So there, if you ever want to look really cool to New Zealanders, you pronounce Fitianga. Um, and our school was what's called a regional school. So um, there were a couple thousand kids in it, you know, from young through um, secondary school. But I would say definitely our kids were quite advanced academically compared to their peers. Um there were a lot of things they were exposed to there 
that maybe we don't do here. Um, well, for one thing, they um, it's compulsory by the New Zealand law that all kids have to be exposed to te reo Māori, which is the New Zealand um, native language. Everyone has to be exposed to that. So in the primary grades, it's quite a lot. Um, they do singing and stories and language of te reo Māori. And then as they get older, they have a, they have a choice if they want to continue taking that continuously. Um, so that's unique. That's pretty wild. Yeah, it's really. pretty, pretty wild. And it's interesting that that language is kind of built into the sing song of the day. Like, you know, um, when you say hi to someone, it's Kiora. Well, that's, you know, good morning. Hello. Or Morena, like morning, everyone. So it's just, you know, he, it's just, that's how you answer the phone. Kia So it's just kind of, words are kind of borrowed from that language and it's just kind of weaved into your everyday life there. Did the kids do well adjusting to that? Or oh, yeah. Are they I mean, around saying, hi? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's really funny. interesting. I think Violet was my youngest, so she was nine, eight, nine, ten-ish. And, you know, she just adjusted really well. And I feel like they all, like, they always make fun of me the way I say Tereo Mori because... I still can't get it exactly right. My kids pronounce it perfectly and they're like, oh, mom, you just aren't saying the R right. You know, but they just, they just get it. Kids just get it so much better, you know. It's that Southern Indiana I know. draw. Yeah, it's my, it's my twang. Yeah, that's twang. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, so I think that was pretty unique. So Luke was kind of going into high school while we were there and he should, he took his first year of French here. He should have taken his second year of French there. All the only languages they had was Mori and Japanese. Oh. <laughs> so he couldn't take French. Um, so, you know, those sort of things when you're in a limited rural area, you just kind of, I mean, he, he could have done it online. So our kids for math in order I, you know, we feel like English, you can kind of catch up, you can read, things like that. But for math, you kind of have to keep up or you're just going to fall behind your peers. So we actually had them do the regular math at school. And then we actually had them do online math, which, thank goodness, during the pandemic, there were all kinds of online math options, which yeah. maybe wouldn't have been there before. So we just actually enrolled them in an online math class each of them so that they kept up with their peers. So when they came back, they were able to just jump back into their um, appropriate math class. But that was, so we did a little bit of that. Speaking of pandemic, we, we alluded to it earlier, but the impact of the pandemic in New Zealand was completely different than what we had. Yeah, before. very much. It was, in some ways it was much, much easier than what you had here. And in some ways it was so much more isolating. So um, New Zealand has a socialized healthcare system, but because of that, it's quite fragile. They don't have the, it's a, it's a country of 5 million people. It's actually quite small. They don't have lots and lots and lots of ways to back up ICUs and to back up if, if their hospitals become overwhelmed, they just don't have the capacity. Um, so they knew if they had a true, overwhelming respiratory illness, lots of people would probably die. And so they had to kind of come up with a way to protect their population. So when the it became apparent kind of in mid-March 2020 of what was happening, obviously COVID was already in the country because no one really understood what was happening. But as soon as that became apparent to them, they decided to be pretty draconian and they locked the borders no one was allowed to come in 
and they did a lockdown. And when I say lockdown, it was much different than what I heard people talking about in America. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, it was, you had to define your bubble. Your bubble was who lives in your house with you. You were not permitted to interact with anyone outside of your bubble. If you were caught with someone outside of your bubble, there could be definite consequences. Um, you could go to the grocery store, but no one could go with you. It was one person at a time. You had to wear a mask. Um, I was allowed to go to work because I was a essential worker at a doctor's office, but we mostly couldn't see patients in person. Um, and that was six weeks of, of very, very, very strict lock lockdown. We could walk outside, but we couldn't, even though we lived right on the water, it was gorgeous. You couldn't be in the ocean because if you got in an accident or you needed help, then that would expose all the emergency workers to you. Okay. That was the idea. So there are people who are used to like surfing all the time and everything. They weren't permitted to do that. You weren't allowed to drive anywhere. Same idea. If you get in a car accident, you're going to expose all those emergency workers. So you weren't allowed to drive. If you were caught driving out of your town, you were in big trouble. There were actually police barricades and they'd stop you and they'd be like, why are you leaving town? So it was really felt a little different. And for us, it was not that big of a deal, but there were situations like, like tragic situations where someone died and they needed to be moved their body. This was kind of a famous one. their body needed to be moved and they couldn't move their body back to where it needed to go to be buried. They just would not allow it. It was very, very strict. So Ooh. things like that you don't think about. Um, but after six weeks, they, they loosened the restrictions and people were allowed to behave as normal because it had actually been eliminated. Like yeah, six totally. week pandemic. Yeah. Six week, <laughs> six week pandemic is rough. Wow. Um, uh, it was, it was rough eliminated life. in the country, but the lockdown continued. So after six, uh, people could come into the country if you were a citizen, but you had to stay in quarantine facilities. So you were picked up by a bus. When you came in on the plane, you were put straight into these quarantine hotels. You basically, you had to stay in your hotel room for two weeks. You were allowed out to exercise for one hour at a time in like a yard that looked like a jail yard. You were only allowed to walk in one direction. If you went backwards, it would, because your germs could mix. I mean, it was very So, but you odd. said it was eliminated though? I mean, eliminated. Like, there was no COVID in the country. But it was because of all of these rules. So what that meant is no one could come visit us, of course. I mean, no one was traveling. But we couldn't leave the country and come back either. Um, so my father-in-law unfortunately passed away in November of 2020, suddenly and unexpectedly. We couldn't leave. If we'd left, we couldn't have come back. And we actually did consider leaving permanently, but I, I didn't have a job at that point. Like our job, our home, everything was in New Zealand. So we just felt like we couldn't leave. Wow. I remember when that happened. I think Kendra told me about it. Yeah. So there was, I mean, and that was, I mean, that was very tragic for us, but there were so many other stories that were so much more tragic. I mean, you know, it, it was just very difficult in a lot of ways, but you're right. We had a very free life compared to what Americans went so, through. I mean, did they, have they went this whole time with it being no. So what really happened is in the spring of 2020, like late spring of 21, like maybe May of 2021 is when they got vaccines. Whereas you guys had started getting vaccines in December the year before. So their idea was let's vaccinate everyone. And then, so, um, they started vaccinating and actually then this year, I think started slowly. They actually opened a 
they called it like a window between them and Australia because actually there's quite a large connection of family members and things. They're not the same place, Will. It's not the same place. It's about a six-hour flight. But it is the closest country to New Zealand. Um, and unfortunately, um, someone, it ended up getting brought in from Australia. So they were, the cat was kind of out of the bag, but, um, at that point they, their strategy then became just vaccination. And so they have a very, very high vaccination rate. Um, and I think it was one week ago, I posted on Facebook when it happened, I think it was just one week ago that their final restriction opened and the country became a hundred percent open just, okay. just a week ago. Wow. Like, pretty amazing. What was the news cycle like there during this? Like, cause I, that's the thing I think about when you talk about lockdowns and stuff and in the U S you know, it was pretty fiery yeah. news, you People know what I mean? Like, yeah, sides yeah, yeah. like very volatile. Like, so in New Zealand, I mean, definitely there were people who were unhappy about it for sure, but it was much more, I think the, the country much more understood the necessity of doing this as a team. Like we have to get through this together and we understand why this is necessary. Not that there weren't people who were unhappy about it or who protested and things like that, for sure. There's always going to be people, but I definitely feel like it was much, and they actually called it um, a team of 5 million. We're a team of 5 million. We have to get through this. And every single day at 2 PM, there was a news, um, release. Um, and the prime minister would get on and talk. The health officer would get on and talk. They were kind of national heroes. They would explain what the numbers were, what the percentages were, what the plan was. It was a very clear message to everyone. And I wasn't in America, but it felt to me like the messaging was very confusing. Like what's going on? Yeah, Yeah, there was no clear And every state had their own plan, right? Like the state might do this, the state might do that. Well, New Zealand essentially has states. They're called something different. And it was, a defined plan for everyone. It was all consistent. And I think that what made it successful, it was clear messaging. Everyone understood the plan. No one felt confused. And we they understood why we were doing what we were doing. And um, I think that's why they were successful because yes, they have COVID now. Yes, there are people in the hospital, but they did not have the deaths that, you know, they, it, COVID would have overwhelmed New Zealand. I mean, it would have been just devastating. That's wild. Yeah. So the, I think in the end, you know, it was a success in far as far as they didn't lose life. Now, has it decimated their economy? Maybe. I mean, the New Zealand's an economy that's based on tourism. They had no I mean, tourism for two and a half years. Our economy too. So, so you know, <laughs> I, I can't, you know, I guess the future will tell us like what, yeah. and there's a lot of people who would say, was it worth it? I don't know. Um, and I, you know, I can't say, but. Oh, yeah, that's really. We lived there at a very unique time where we could go on lots and lots of tours and see lots of things when normally there'd be thousands of people and you couldn't even get in because of all the tourism. And we oh, were yeah. we were there, and no one else was there. Wow. <laughs> so it was pretty pretty interesting. So what brought you back to Columbus? I mean, why would I come back? You were in so paradise. the plan was always to come back to Columbus. You know, this is our mm-hmm. home, um, and. Uh, I wanted to start my practice here. My kids grew up here. My kids went to Parkside, Northside, had always planned on going to North. Interestingly, the pandemic probably allowed them to stay closer with their friends than they would have because their friends in America were home. So right. there was this huge 16-hour time difference, but they were on the phone FaceTiming with my friends, all, my, my kids all the time because 
they were home. My kids were home, you know, at the time change with the, when they wouldn't have been otherwise. So they stayed very, very close with all of their friends. Um, you know, we, we felt like we owed it to them. You know, we're going to go back and you can go to North and you can graduate from North. Um, so, and I have family here. So this was always our plan. Um, my son, Luke, unfortunately had some health problems and he needed to have a surgery here in America that they couldn't do in New Zealand. Um, so honestly, that also was a pressing need. Um, and that kind of leads us to, um, you know, the health system in New Zealand is, is quite robust. They can do a lot. It, it's a socialized health system, although we, to be, um, and for people who wonder, we did not actually qualify for their health system because we, free health care, because you have to have a two-year visa, and we were there for 18 months. Okay. Um, but there are some things, quite honestly, America just has a lot more experience with, complex surgeries and things like that, and we were fortunate that we could come back to America and Luke could have his surgery right. here. And, um, he, he got, he had a, uh, osteomyelitis that was non-healing in his leg. And so, um, they just, he had, he actually had four surgeries there. <laughs> wow. Um, so he, we needed to come back here. Yeah. That's but funny. it always had been the plan. And so now you're back. I know that the general public is super excited to have you back, like, you know, you're, you're kind of a internet superstar. You oh, know, well, thank something, you. you know. <laughs> it does seem like I always see on Facebook and, and people talking about, you know, having you back. And so I think it's, it says a lot about your personality and how good you are at what you do. So, uh, so the new, tell us, tell us a little more about direct, no, let's see, direct, Primary care. There we go. Yeah, direct primary care. There we go. So direct primary care, like I said, is just kind of a name in general for a practice that um, uses subscription monthly payment plans, um, and you work directly for the patient. And my practice is called Sage Direct Care. I opened exactly a year ago this week. Um, and you know, I opened just really unsure, is this going to, you just don't know, is this going to work? I really had no idea. And I think also I knew it was a calculated risk leaving the country for two years and then coming back because would my patients, would any patients even know who I was anymore? Would right. I, would there be new patients? You know, probably if I'd stayed and started right away, I would have maybe, you know, felt a little more comfortable starting a new practice, but, you know, I, I felt like that opportunity was such a golden opportunity. We needed to do it. Um, so yeah, so we've been blessed to be very successful. I, I couldn't be happier. We are about 85% full. Okay. I plan to take 350 patients. I also do breastfeeding medicine on a consultation basis. So I see moms and babies who have trouble with breastfeeding. I'm a certified lactation consultant as well as a doctor. So I can evaluate those moms and babies. And if there's a diagnosis to be made, I, because I'm a doctor, I, I'm able to do that. And then we can come up with a plan um, and follow them too. So it's been, it's been really fantastic. And I feel like it's been a nice alternative for patients who want, are looking for something different than the typical fee-for-service model um, that we have here. Yeah, so let's, let's break it down for all, all of us dumb people. So it, I pay a monthly monthly price mm -hmm. and then I can just come hang out in your office all the time. How's that work? Yeah. Yeah. We even well, have a curate. Yeah, it's, like it's basically like a gym membership kind of thing. And like, <laughs> I'm dead serious. Like, I think that's okay, a great way to describe it. 
yeah, we we've had. I can. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I please. Kind of share my experience with my daughter. Like, so Kendra was really excited when you moved back because you were my wife's doctor for several years, and whenever we got married, you became my doctor. Thank you. Uh, but anyway, uh, I was at home with my kids. My daughter fell, cut her head. Oh, I was by myself, flipped out. Kendra was on her way home, thank God, because I had my other two kids too. And she was bleeding really bad, and I was just scared to death. And I'm not kidding. Kendra got there. It happened at 11 o'clock, I think. Picked us up, rode into town. Kendra and Reagan went into the office. You guys stitched her up and everything. And I sat in the car with my kids like Kendra was running in to grab milk from the grocery store. <laughs> they were out of there. We were not there 20 minutes, I know. Yeah. And Reagan came out happy and stitched up, looked great. She was back on the couch watching TV at 12 o'clock. And it was just, yeah. like Kendra was able to call her or text you through the app. Yep. That was massive of massive value to my family. And I think that that one experience. So she's hooked you. No, I mean, like, <laughs> it, there's been other things. Like I've been to the doctor and everything and it's been, I've been to Sage, like, because I, you know, it, it was always intimidating to me to have to call and make an appointment mm -hmm. previously. But like, I'm not teasing, like, I had a headache the other day and it kind of lingered and everything. Kendra messaged her, and uh, yeah, I told we're you talking about, about like personal medical stuff. So, like, right now. <laughs> go Kendra for it, dude. Her, get it out. Like, really easily and have a consultation. I was very comfortable. I left feeling much better. I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, thank you for those kind words. That was very kind. But, um, so, you, you and your family. I don't think you mind me saying no. you were already enrolled at Sage yes. Direct Care when this happened to your daughter, mm -hmm. and we do have an app. My, my practice does that I pay for that provides HIPAA compliant texting. So I think that's important. This is 2022. How do people yeah. communicate? That's just how we communicate, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that that adds a lot of value for people. Uh, we really, really, really try to get people in right away for something urgent. We try to do as much as we can in the office and try to keep, to keep costs low for people. So for example, those stitches there was no charge for that. We are charging now just, um, for stitches, we charge $10 just for the supplies. Um, wow. $10. Oh. <laughs> I know, rough. Um, but really, house. we try to, so we really try to be very transparent about our prices. So our members also, if you're a member, you, ha you have access to our really low lab prices. So for example, you can have a CBC for $5, a complete lipid count for $5, a vitamin D level for $10, um, and a hemoglobin A1C for $5. I mean, you can have any lab done and we could give you the price. We have very, very, very low cost cash pay pricing, which often for people is less than using their insurance. Um, and then procedures, we I do because I'm a family doctor, we're trained in a lot of procedures. So I do a lot of women's health. I place IUDs. I do skin procedures. And I, I really don't charge any extra for any of that unless um, like there's um, something like stitches or something. And then we have it posted and we tell people what the price is. But it's minimal. But there's no charge to come in and see me. There's no charge for virtual visits. There's no charge for texting. It's all included in the membership. That's wild. Yeah. I've gotten stitches in the ER before and they were a lot more than $10. <laughs> like insane. And I was you probably got stitches many times over. Be, adding to that, <laughs> my having kids and being able to have access to the healthcare like that was life changing for us when you came back and did that. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's really what I dreamed of is that pa parents, patients could have a doctor who they trust that you could just 
text and ask questions too. And it's kind of my nurse, Megan, who is fantastic. I have her on my list to talk about. She's amazing. I was so lucky to get her. She likes to say we are like an old fashioned family doctor with a modern twist. And I think she's kind of right. I think of a Hallmark movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. So because you know, we can just, you just come on in, you know, there's not like a check-in process. It's very kind of homey in there. We have like a couch and stuff like that. Um, and I want people to be able to ask me questions. A lot of times it saves visits for people. You know, I'll have people just text me like, Oh, I have this going on. Is this a big deal? And then I'm like, Oh, here's, here's what I think. And they're like, Oh, okay, good. You know, it's just, it's just peace of mind. Yeah. Megan's just awesome. Yes. Um, how did you guys, how have you guys known each other? How did you guys hook up? I, I feel like it's just a yeah. perfect connection. Yeah. So I always knew I wanted to have an RN in my practice. Um, and Megan Matthews is the RN I was lucky to hire. She worked for 20 plus years in pediatrics for a large fee-for-service practice and loved her job, loves working with people, but also saw some of the limitations, I think, that a larger practice can have. Um, And I kind of knew of her and knew her because she worked in pediatrics and I did breastfeeding medicine. She would sometimes refer people and I would talk to her. She likes to hang out in Target. So I felt like I always ran into her there. And I'd be like, oh, hey, Megan. And she'd be like, oh, hey. Um, she had, we have some mutual friends. We never really hung out, but I kind of always, we had similar circles. It's such a small town, you know, yeah. Columbus. So um, when I started talking on social media about Sage Direct Care, even when I was in New Zealand, she reached out and said, hey, I think this might be a really nice fit for me someday. Let's talk. And so we did. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I figured that there was some major connection in in the way back, you know. Yeah, and no, it just we we I think we're a really good team. She's really great. Um, and one thing that I think makes it work really well is this practice. It's not really just a job. It's not kind of a nine to five. It's you really have to kind of get it what we're doing, and she gets it. She gets that we're a team. That what we're doing for our patients, the whole concept, and you know, our phones ring to our cell phones. Like we do not have a landline in our practice. It's a, it's a line that rings to my phone, my cell phone and her cell phone. So you really have to be committed when your cell phone is tied to the practice, you know, and she kind of gets that, like what the service we're providing for our patients and the kind of, the kind of level of care that we want to give. I mean, you guys love people. That's we do. Both of you, you know, we do. So like, yeah. And, and we really love our patients and we really strive to know each one of them personally. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, it's easy to, you know, have somebody call you or whatever you get that eye roll ahead of time. Like, oh gosh, I don't want to talk to this person or whatever. And I don't, yeah, I couldn't see Megan ever doing that. She's no, like, I don't think Megan she, ever would. She is, uh, <laughs> I don't know how well you know her. I mean, she says, probably, Oh my gosh. Kendra Widener's texting me again. No, no, no. She's tired of me waving. I waved her in my old blue truck. Hey, how's it going? Yeah. No, I think, you know, she just, I think because she's worked with parents and kids for 20 plus years, she really is very understanding. And, you know, that's what we're here for. You know, that was the whole point is I don't want patients to feel like they're a burden. Patients should feel like they can ask the questions they need to ask. And that's what we're here for. We're here for them. So, uh, so if we have something that's not in your wheelhouse, yeah, 
Like you can refer out just like any Absolutely. other. Absolutely. Because you are a doctor. It just right. doesn't look like a normal office, right? Right. I'm a board certified family physician. I'm still board certified. I've actually been a doctor for 19 years. Um, and absolutely, we we do all the normal stuff. We do the regular labs you're supposed to have. And I have my little list of health maintenance and I make sure everyone's up to date on their colonoscopy and their flu shot and their pneumonia vaccine. And um, we refer out, you know, for things that are needed. And definitely, I'm so thankful for my specialist colleagues and we do that regularly. Um, so, yeah. Where did you come up with the name of SAGE? for your practice? So that's a really good question. I agonized over the name of my practice. Should I call it Dr. Dornfeld, direct <laughs> primary care? You were going to be stuck with it for a while. Yeah, I know. I was like, what? Dr. You know, Mandy. I, I know. It was just, it's like such a big decision. It's like your baby. I, so then I was like, you know, I kind of like a plant. It's like green. You know, I want something green. Like it's growing. It's like new life. And then I thought, um, and so I kind of started looking at plant names and then I started looking at herb names and then I came across sage. I thought, isn't that cool? It's green and it's growing like, like mm-hmm. new life, but also sage means wisdom. So I could be, it's like a place to get wisdom about your health. So that's how I named it sage direct care. I, I wondered if it had anything to do with the other meaning of it. And I just thought that was always like that. One. Yeah. So. Like burning sage. Isn't that what people yeah. do to that's what you kind do of at your house a lot when you die? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, isn't that a thing? He, no. big, yeah, big, to like clean the air, kind of. Yeah, like yeah, refresh. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So big, to big kind of. incense burner guy here. <laughs> right, that's yeah, it, yeah, like sage and cut that out. Cut that out, camera. Maybe you would yeah. have an instant headache. No, and there probably are some other meanings to it that I didn't really intend, but um, I just I also wanted something that was one syllable. It just seems yeah, like very easily boom. to remember, easy to remember. No, it, just, seriously, I think it's awesome. Like thanks. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So it just hit me, and I was like, "That's it. I know that's it." So. Well, you know, you know, right? You know, you know. There you go. Awesome. Well, you guys have anything else you want to talk about? You got any other medical things you want to get on? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just really thankful that Columbus has welcomed us back and embraced this new this new practice model. You know, I'm not the only direct primary care practice in town. There's another one, which I think is great. The more the merrier, because I think, you know, the capacity. Yeah. And I think that it's good for there to be choices. That's the whole point of all of this, right? Like not every practice fits one patient or their family. So I think that it's really great to have more practice options. So, yeah. I was going to ask you if you'd ever experienced like a direct primary care office like that before moving back? Like what was your experience like in New Zealand practicing as a doctor versus here? Was it more direct care kind of style there? Or? Yeah. So news in New Zealand, I was what we, they call a GP. So in New Zealand, the primary care, um, the primary care fabric is all GPs. So like there aren't like a pediatrician is not considered a primary care doctor. They're a specialist. The, uh, an internal medicine doctor is not considered a primary care doctor. They're a specialist. Every single citizen person in New Zealand has to be registered with a GP. That is that is kind of how the system works. Oh. And then the GP can refer beyond that. So I was a GP. And because I worked in a rural area, we did a lot of procedures women's health, et cetera. And my practice was actually very similar to what it was here in America at a large fee-for-service. So it was quite busy, patients every 15 minutes, lots and lots of stuff, um, notes, messages, et cetera. Um, It was probably an older patient population. I did still see kids, but um, more geriatric there um, just because of where I lived. 
the area I lived in, the permanent population was <clears throat> more geriatric, but we were actually a very common place for, for Kiwis to go on vacation because it was near the ocean. So we were the only medical practice, the only doctor's office for two hours around. Um, oh, wow. So if someone got in an accident or broke their leg or got a fish hook in their face or whatever, they came to see us. Um, so we, yeah, face. well, that happened not uncommonly. There was a lot of pretty amazing fishing there. It's actually, uh, Fitianga Wharf is the site of some, some of the best fishing actually, I guess, in the world for okay. deep sea fishing. And, um, so, uh, so we took care of all of that. We were the first first medical stop. Um, it wasn't uncommon for us to kind of stabilize people and then call the helicopter because it is so far away to a hospital. You use medical helicopters a lot more commonly there. So it was really an interesting experience. Yeah. I also remembered that we forgot to talk about you being on TV. I, I yes, so I, I, I was on TV. Yeah. Um, so we were on House Hunters International. Uh, before we left, someone said, you should try to be on House Hunters International. And we kind of said, oh, ha, ha, ha. And we put our name in the, you know, you go to the internet and apply and we thought nothing of it. Long story short, they did call us and um, you kind of go through an interview process and you get cast, like a casting director calls you. And um, we were picked and we, we did have to decide, there's a kind of a point where you have to decide, will we do this or will we not? Because once you decide to do it, you're kind of saying, yeah, I'm going to put my family out there. I have no idea how they're going to present us. We have no control over, because we don't see the show until it airs. Like, oh so you're just like, oh. I don't know. But Like if they perceive you as an idiot. I know. Well, like, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Dave and I, my husband who and I talked about it, and we said, you know, you only live once. Like, why not? Just I think it'll be fun. So yeah. when we decided to do it, we decided to do it. We decided to just have fun with it. And we had a blast. It was really fun. We actually filmed it in New Zealand winter, which if you've seen the show, yeah, that may be hard to believe. I was freezing my little tushy off in some of those scenes and they'd come over and put a blanket around me. And then I'd be like, okay, okay, I can do this now. Um, cause we were like on the beach in some of the Even scenes, magic. it was really pretty. It was so cold. Um, it didn't freeze where we were, but the winds could be quite biting. It would be like 50 degrees. Um, it was really gorgeous though. At Ferry Caho where they, they filmed. Um, but the, the, the whole group of the director, the sound guy, the camera guy, they were so awesome. We had so much fun. It was really great. I remember Kendra, I think, pulled that up on YouTube or something uh -huh. a long time ago. I'll see if we can find that. Yeah. Well, I'm just impressed that they had smile on there like, yeah, I'm a doctor, you know, because usually on the house hunter, it's like. They're a B-Wax collector and they make. <laughs> my budget. Budget. Million. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like something crazy and they have basically no job. You're like, yeah. Like, How did you make any money? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, interestingly, um, what, we weren't really sure if they could do it because I thought, well, the borders are closed. How will they be able to film this? You know, but they actually contract with crews in each country. So okay. they just have their, they just have just contractors who they just come on board and they're like, okay, we're going to film this, this house hunters for you. So the, the people we worked with had worked together before and they had done house hunters international before, but they do all kinds of shows. Like they, the director actually um, directs a lot of, um, of this one particular series in New Zealand that's a very beloved series. So when I told Kiwis that we got to meet the director of the series, they were just like gaga. They just oh, couldn't wow. believe. I know it's so cute, but, um, yeah, it was really interesting how that's, how that's done, but they were just lovely to work with. It was, 
exhausting 12 hour days filming, but oh my God. I know. Oh. Yeah. It, that's actually true. It was, it was four days of filming 12 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little, yeah. A little wild. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, because there's only one camera person, they kind of have to do things over from different angles. Was the real estate there like crazy as well? So like you were actually looking at houses. Oh, right? like, real estate is insane. If we think it's expensive here, you should look up the real estate market in New Zealand. It is a housing crisis. It is a disaster there. Like you couldn't have bought anything where we lived for less than a million dollars for sure. It's like normal where you were at. Oh yeah. That's like, crazy. Yeah. It's really, it's really insane. It's very hard for a typical family. Like, what do you do? We, you need people who are blue collar people, you know, you need, you need what, what they call them electricians. They're called sparkies. So you need sparkies. sparkies. You, you need, you need the butcher. You need all those people. They can't generally afford it. The housing market is really rough. In the primary industry, there was tourism where you were at. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. probably impacted very harshly. Very hard. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we actually had a really, really hard time finding a, a home too. So, so your doctor's license kind of transferred. Do you think his real estate license? Yeah. What's the reciprocity <laughs> for New Zealand? There we go. I don't know. I'm not for sure about that. Um, yeah. They sell insurance there too. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I know some people. <laughs> yeah. But it was a real true real estate agent who worked with us. Like they literally called her up and said, Hey, would you be the real estate agent on this show? So yeah. I couldn't do that. You could. I oh, can't yeah. watch these myself. Like it's <laughs> to be on TV would have made me so nervous. I think that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was a good time. And it's a way actually that we can remember, you know, well, where yeah, we were. They, you know, yeah. because part of that show is kind of showing how people live in other countries. They show the community and things like yeah. that. So yeah, it was fun. I would always say go for it. Like, why not? Right. Yeah. So that's all. Awesome, yeah. Phoebe would say pass. I'll send you the link to it because I know Kendra has it. <laughs> I've, have you ever been out of the country? Uh, yeah. I mean, like Canada and like down in the Caribbean one time. And I've never been out of the country. I was just wondering. Really? Mm -mm. No, so I find it like super interesting. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, well, um, I had definitely never been to New Zealand. I mean, you know, we just were crazy, crazy I've people. Moved, I've moved twice in my life. Okay. And if you add them up, for the thousand feet. Wow. I was about to say, yeah, this like, is all. <laughs> wow. So you've yeah. always lived here. <laughs> Big town of grammar. Well, using wow. the word here loosely, I was going to say it's right. technically grammar. Grammar is technically, you know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Well, I, I've always just wanted to travel. I love traveling. It's too bad it's so expensive. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like it was, living abroad was a really wonderful experience. And when people ask what the best part, it's the people, you know, the people we met there. Um, well, we have friends there that we'll have forever. Yeah. I imagine you gain so much perspective too from getting out of the United States to see a whole different lifestyle and everything. For sure. And I hope someday my kids will appreciate it. I think at the time, you know, they definitely miss their friends. Um, I think that I think that they do appreciate it, and they I think that, that was here. They wouldn't. Even I know. Fight. Actually, we we did, we have said that to them several times. We're like, well, it's better than being in America right now. <laughs> right. Um, we were not able to get toilet paper for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you would have been using leaves. Yeah, yeah. Struggle. <laughs> no, we. So we really just we didn't have any of that there. It was it was it was a really really unique time to live abroad and be looking back at America. So, um, but I'm thankful to be back and we're happy to be home and, um, yeah. So 
thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Thanks.